Good morning. Welcome to worship on this day in August. The announcements are pretty much that we will sing the first and last verses of our hymns. When we do thy word, we'll sing the uh, chorus and the verse and the chorus. And uh, I also noticed that we have an artist in this church who has uh, given some visual display for the Gospel of Luke and the uh, planting of seeds. And if you haven't seen that, you might want to just walk up here and take a look at it. Um, that's quite a nice little display for us this morning. Any other announcements that we need to share with us uh, this morning? Then let us begin our worship time together with our chorus, Thy Word.
Let us share in our call to worship this morning. And please be seated, if you will. Come, let us lift up our eyes to the Lord, for God does not want us to be downcast in fear or shame. As we look to God, we know that God is filled with mercy. God invites us to turn toward what is right and good and fair for all. David wrote, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is our help and comes to us to keep us from all evil for our lives are precious to God. The Lord will keep our lives and will watch over our going out and our coming in from this moment and forever. Come, let us worship the God of our salvation. Our prayer of invocation is also printed for us to pray together this morning. So let us pray together. Lord, you have not created us to live in fear. Yet we need to know also that you give us a heart of wisdom that we might know what leads to life and our salvation. Deliver us from that which crushes the spirit. We gather as your people to find the faith and strength to let your wisdom inform our daily living. We thank you that your plan for each of our lives supplies what we need for the fullness of life. In this season of uncertainty, help us to rejoice because your love and your mercy always seeks to restore us. May your grace renew a right spirit within us as we worship together. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul wrote several letters over his journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. All of them were written to small groups of believers who found themselves dispersed throughout that part of the world. And all of them who found themselves in places that were not particularly hospitable to this new way of looking at one's religious and spiritual journey. So each of his letters is written to encourage Christians, not only in his own time, but in our time, because we too live in times that are not particularly hospitable to the ways in which we see how God is at work in the world and in our lives. So he writes these words to the church at Rome. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down to earth, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. As a part of the call to worship this morning, I shared some words that David wrote so long ago about where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But David also wrote other things, one of which was make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I bet you all have a favorite song you like to sing, and that's a joyful noise. And I brought something that makes a joyful noise to the Lord because this would have been something that David would have used, not this particular one, but the musical instruments of David's time were instruments that people held and played with their, with their fingers. And do you know that in the early days, in Sunday school, many teachers had what they called lap harps, and they would play for the children by putting it on their lap and playing. This one is a little different because it plays itself. You recognize this tune? How do we make a joyful noise unto the Lord? Well, we do that by doing the things that Jesus taught us to do, like to care about one another, to love one another, to help one another. There are so many things we can do every day. It's not necessarily music, but it's music to God's ears because God is so pleased when we do the things that Jesus taught us to do. And so we help each other. We care about each other. We do things that are right and good. So when you think about making a joyful noise to the Lord, maybe you'll think about this. But maybe you'll also think about what Jesus taught us to do when we're with each other. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we're thankful that David said, make a joyful noise to the Lord. 
And so we pray that these children will always know that they can do those things that will please God. They can help one another. They can be helpful to their families and their parents and to their friends. And we pray that you will guide them with your spirit and bless them and keep them always close to yourself. And may they always live lives that make a joyful noise unto you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do have some <clears throat> joys and concerns we want to share this morning. First of all, um, there are young people who are going back to college and in many places around the country back to public schools. And there is a lot of uncertainty around that and there are also a lot of differences around that. And many of these children will be in places that cannot ensure their safety for one reason or another. Um, and so we are being asked to pray for them this morning and to continue to keep them in prayer. Um, somebody will say to you, well, children don't get this virus. Well, children do get this virus. Um, and we don't know everything we need to know about how this virus does actually act. And so it's one reason why we wear masks and keep social distancing and our children are going to be in spaces and places that may not be all to their safety. So this morning, we want to keep our children, uh, both our college kids and our school children in prayer. I'm sure there are other concerns or needs that we have this morning. Would anybody have anything they'd like to share? Okay, remember. Right. Yeah, and I, I concur what you're saying about your mother, but um, I have a friend who is 100 and will be 101 soon in an adult care center. And uh, so far, it's okay, but there have been persons in that center who have been tested positive. And so we need to keep all of our people who are in uh, adult care places uh, in our prayers as well this morning. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So it's a time not just to remember those who may be in danger, but to give thanks for those <clears throat> who have shared their faith in some very meaningful ways. Thank you. Let us pray. Oh, yes.
Thank you. Let us pray. Whenever we come to you, Lord, with the concerns and joys of our lives, we look for the indwelling spirit that reassures us that you hear our prayers. Your word has reminded us that when we come to you in humility and sincerity, and when we pray for that which is right and good, you are already at work on our behalf, on behalf of those about whom we care. And you are already rejoicing with those who are rejoicing in their relationship with you. We give you thanks, O God, that you are a God who understands and knows us intimately. You know our going out and our coming in. You know us in our journeys, in our failures, and in our successes. And in all of those things, you promise to abide with us and to work for our good. And we know that you are continually working for good in this world. We pray that you will continue to speak a word, a message of some sort to those who are in positions of influence, that they may truly know that if they would just simply open themselves to your presence, what a difference they could make. And we are thankful for those who do that, for those who seek to do your will, who seek to be care-filled and concerned about all of the world in which they live. We are mindful, O oh God, that as we gather to worship you, you once again would share with us a word that gives us encouragement and strength for our daily living. For truly your word was meant to be a way of life, not an intellectual exercise, but a reality that helps us as we move throughout the events of our everyday lives. And so we give you thanks that you call us to this place and that you call your people together everywhere, that your word may be proclaimed, that it may be heard, and that it may be lived. This prayer we ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive those indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. sure foundation, first and last. Christ is made 
please be seated. The gospel reading for this morning, as has been the case over these weeks, is printed for us. It comes from the gospel according to Matthew and begins in the 22nd verse. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. This was a time when Jesus had shared the good news with a large group of people, and the gospel tells us he wanted to be by himself. So after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> We are the people of the word, O Lord. The word which comes to us through scripture and that living word, Jesus Christ himself. So it is that when we read this word, we come to understand that it guides us and directs us to that living word. And so as we share this word and its meaning and understanding this morning, may the Christ come to us and be with us and make us once again, aware of the love and grace that he has toward us all. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, many of you, my wife Rosemary died last November, and we were married for 34 years. But early in our marriage, we used to visit my son-in-law, who after a visit and during a visit would tell his children to stuff Bible tracts in the pockets of our car so that we would be sure to find them at some point after we had been there for a visit. Now the reason that he had his kids do this was because Rosemary was raised a Roman Catholic. She didn't become a United Methodist until we met and married and so they just simply assumed that she wasn't saved. 
because of her own religious history. Well, we put up with this for quite some time, and finally I and Rosemary and I had to say to them, please, stop doing this. Rosemary is saved. It has nothing to do with following a certain set of guidelines. It has to do with one's relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you've been sending us these Bible verses and tracts and all of this because you think that she isn't saved, but I am because I'm a clergy. Well, the fact that I'm a clergy doesn't guarantee my salvation either. Because every one of us, when we think about the saving grace of God, it comes to us because we are in a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's at the heart of all of the guidelines and rules and regulations of every religious group that we call Christian. Every single one of them says that the true essence of salvation is this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. So when I read one of Paul's letters to a church, whether it's Corinth or Ephesus, or in this morning's case, the church at Rome, I sometimes am struck with wonder. Wonder because Paul was raised as a Pharisee. Paul himself has described him, himself as a Pharisee among the Pharisees. That is, he was so well-rooted and grounded in the law and how you apply it to everyday life, that he was at the top of the list of those who could say, I am the best keeper of the law that you ever saw or knew. What happened to Paul? What happened to Paul? Yes, we know about the road to Damascus experience, but when he writes what he writes to the church at Rome, He's talking about not obedience to a set of rules and regulations. He's talking about a life-changing relationship. How can he possibly do that if he himself has not had such an event in his own life? He begins to talk about faith as the cornerstone of our spiritual journeys. Not obedience to some set of rules and regulations or some religious concept that somehow is supposed to make everything different. The only thing that will make difference in our lives is this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Paul has come to that point in his own journey. He hasn't denied the law. There are guidelines for us every day. We talk about in public school, if everybody could just get back to the Ten Commandments, what a difference the world would make. But sometimes I'm not sure we understand what we're saying when we say that. What would be a real difference for the world is everyone had a heart of faith. That is, if everyone had come to this life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that you and I have to proclaim that has any possibility of making a difference in the world. We may all differ in our understanding of our religious and spiritual journeys, and that God understands. But what God really is asking of us is to give witness to that life-changing relationship that has occurred when we enter into that with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
It's interesting. Uh, I have a sister-in-law who, as I've told you before, loves to order things on the computer for me. And it almost always comes from Amazon. And every time she orders something, they send to me on the computer a confirmation number. That is, if I want to know where that order is at any given time or place, all I have to do is pop up that number and it tells me it's on its way, but it's over there or it's over here or it's somewhere else. I got to thinking about that in terms of Jesus and the disciples and Jesus and ourselves. Wouldn't it be neat if we had a spiritual confirmation number so we could track how it's going. It's interesting to me that Peter and those disciples had been with Jesus long enough. They had simply been with him when he spoke to the crowds. He explained to them, go over there and wait for me. I need some time alone. And then they're out on the lake and a storm comes up and Peter and the disciples see Jesus on the water and they freak out. It's a ghost. And Jesus speaks a word that says, do not be afraid. It's me. But Peter needs to know for sure. He issues his confirmation number, if you will. He says, if it's really you, I'll step out of the boat and walk on the water with you. And Jesus says, come and extends a hand. Well, how strong are we sometimes in this spiritual journey? Peter seems like a rock when he steps out of that boat, but then he takes his eyes off Jesus. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he pays attention to the wind. How many times in our lives, friends, have we taken our eyes off Jesus? And all of a sudden, the wind starts to overwhelm us. It's in that moment that that confirmation number that Jesus issues to us. You are my child. You matter to me. I am here for you. I am reaching out my hand every single moment in your life. And when the wind seems to overwhelm you for one reason or another, whether it's an emotional issue or a loss of someone you love and care about, or whether it's the raging storms around us every day, the confirmation number is there. God says, take my hand. Take my hand. And the only thing that saves Peter, the only thing that saves Peter is he reaches out and takes Jesus' hand. I would like to say to us, all of us, to myself included, the only thing that really saves us is when we reach out in the storms of life, in the uncertainties, in the traumas, in the difficulties. The only thing that saves us is when we reach out and take the hand of Jesus. That's what Paul was writing to the church at Rome it's not your obedience to some outward system of rules and regulations. It's what's on your heart. It's what's in here. 
And that can only be there because there is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have reached out and you have taken the hand of Jesus. That's what real salvation is about. Jesus saves Peter on the lake. But how many times has the hand of Christ come out to us and said, take my hand. You won't sink. You won't give in to despair. You won't give in to the brokenness around you. If you take my hand and you are with me, that will make all the difference. I think eventually my son-in-law got the message. Rosemary has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Each one of us experience salvation, experience the transforming power of God in our daily walk when we have that relationship. And when, like Peter, even in the midst of whatever disaster we might be struggling with at any given time, we hear Jesus say, take my hand, and it will make all the difference. This truly is what salvation is all about. You know, I listened to the son of Billy Graham, and uh, in this coronavirus, he talks about say this little prayer and asking Jesus to come into your heart. That's what happens, friends. You have to ask Christ. But the hand is always there. All you have to do is say, Lord, take my hand. Take my hand. And salvation becomes real. And the transforming power of the Holy Spirit makes us into a new creature, a new person. That can happen over and over again on our lifetime journeys. God is always at work reaching out to us. So may we experience that same saving grace again and again and again. Let us pray. It is amazing, Lord, that when we sometimes think we have it all together and we've got it all worked out, we need to take your hand again because we are overwhelmed by the winds of life, by the circumstances that sometimes impact us unexpectedly. But we do give you thanks that you have made such a commitment to us, that your love and grace are ever ready, and that you are always seeking to touch our lives to make us into new persons. For we find that newness in Jesus Christ himself. And so as we continue our journeys this day and every day, may that same grace and love continue to give us strength that we may take the hand of Christ and live as people transformed and made new. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Our hymn is Breathe on Me, Breath of God, and then we will do our communion this morning.
Please be seated. As we prepare ourselves to receive the Holy Communion, I always feel it incumbent upon me to share with you what we are about to do. You know, when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he meant more than just remember that myself and the disciples were in an upper room and we broke bread and took a cup and I gave them some words of institution. What Jesus meant when he said to the disciples, do this in remembrance of me, he was really telling them to take upon themselves the yoke of Christ. And as Christ was in the world, doing what God asked him to do, he was asking those disciples to be in the world, asking God asking them to do what Christ had done. To remember something means to offer ourselves. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. All of those things that would indicate that we are called as God's people and sent into the world as disciples of Jesus Christ. When we break bread and share a cup together, it is a, it is a way of our saying, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We will go into this world and be Christ-like because that's what Jesus sent those disciples to do. And that's what Jesus has sent believers in every generation to do. Take the bread. It is, for us, a way to remember that this bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for us, but also as a symbol of life in our relationship with Christ. And after Jesus and the disciples had broken the bread, he did take the cup. And he said to them, this cup represents my blood which is shed for you unto the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. This loaf and this cup are a call by God through Jesus Christ to live as the disciples were called to live. It is not just remembering a meal that Jesus and the disciples had together. It is our affirmation of the love and grace of God and that we are willing to share that with the world. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, the loaf and the cup are simply more than what they appear to be because they are a deep and significant way of reminding each one of us that as Christ has called the disciples, Christ also calls us. And that as Christ sent those disciples into the world, he sends us into the world as well. So as we take the cup, as we break the bread, help us to, in our resolve, be open to the ways in which we can express <coughs> love and grace in this troubled world. Well, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
Now, as you know, friends, this is a little different. At the top of the cup is a very thin membrane. If you pull that back, there is a wafer there representing the body of Jesus Christ. So take your time when doing that. Don't feel pressed or rushed. But as you take that, this represents the body of Christ for us today. Let us take it in remembrance of that. And then there is another tab under that, which if you pull it back, will make the grape juice available. And this cup represents the blood of Christ shed for us unto the remission of sin and life everlasting. Let us drink it together. And let us join together in the singing of our final hymn. <clears throat> Jesus Christ touch our lives today and every day. May the love, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God be ours constantly as we go forth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
This week? Yeah, maybe we'll get together Wednesday. Maybe that would be all right. All right. Okay. I'll give you a call. Okay, thank you. You bet. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. That's really nice. I've been given a job. You don't want that, believe me. <laughs> yeah, I, I rescued this You're from. Still oh, I'm still on here. That means I, it's okay. I always forget that. I gotta stop that. I gotta Very good sermon as usual. Well, thank you. Thank you. This, this, I, 